six years ago in northern Japan, there was an earthquake that set off a tsunami. And the tsunami came rolling in across one of the northern islands, and you may have seen some of the videos. And in the matter of an hour or two, everything that this community had acquired for their homes, their businesses, their farms, their security, their <coughs> cars, everything about their, the security of their life was washed away into the ocean. And to top it off, shortly after that, the nearby nuclear reactor flooded, spewing radiation of some sort all over the land, and nobody can live there for safely for hundreds of years. These people were doing everything they could to establish their life in a secure and stable, well-intentioned, well-understood way, just as we are and we do in our communities with our careers and our possessions and our relationships and the whole <coughs> package of life's events. <coughs> and yet, there isn't anything that any of them could have done to prevent that tsunami and the loss of their, well, their lifestyle. Devastating. I mean, it's just in a matter of a couple of hours, your life is just upended. And nothing that you had even expected, nothing that you'd even planned for, so to speak, can come out of, well, the unpredictability of conditions. When we think of that, if we were there and we saw the devastation and we came down off the roof where we had videotaped it to meet someone on the street after the water receded enough to walk on the street, who would you want to meet? Who, who would you want to see? You know, you're all in the same boat, or you're all not in the same boat. Whatever. That's kind of a wrong metaphor. But anyway, you're all in the same situation. You know, and you'd want to see, you know, someone who had an accurate appraisal of what's going on, someone who was could respond to the situation with some balance of mind, with some understanding, with some compassion, tremendous amount of energy, um, creativity, that whatever it's going to take to kind of process this and then get through the next hours and days. Clearly, the person you'd want to meet would have to have these qualities of mind, whether they were of this color or that size or that shape or this age, whether their profession was X, Y, or Z, these things would be secondary. What would be primary is the quality of their heart and how they were going to work, how you were all going to work together to 
kind of move on. We live with these kinds of unpredictable, tumultuous forces, whether they are personal health, economics, uh, political, environmental. Uh, We live with these forces that are much bigger than any one of us or any of us collectively. And yet we all face them personally. The Buddha said that these vicissitudes of life, where we have pleasure and pain, where we have abundance and we have loss, where we have recognition and praise and blame. These are common. We all know that we all experience them. And though we might prefer the gain, the fame, the pleasure, we know that the other side of the spectrum, we also get to experience. So, while we all wish for the pleasant ends, and we do what we can to secure them, we all have experienced and can expect reasonably to experience times of loss, times of pain, times of, you know, being blamed. So, what is it that is going to most serve us in this very unpredictable life. George Dreyfus says, translator for the, in the Tibetan tradition, he says, happiness is not gratification on the hedonic treadmill, but it is a sense of well-being. What is it that's going to provide you with that sense of well-being in such a situation? Or another way of asking is, What kind of contingency plans can you make for the inevitable trouble ahead? Clearly, it's the development of the heart. It's the development of the qualities of mind that are most going to serve you to remain balanced, clear-eyed, understanding, compassionate, generous, truthful, energetic, resolved, This is what we're doing here. We have to cultivate all of those qualities to practice this awareness and insight for awakening. And so, uh, unbeknownst to us, we're just trying to to find the breath, but unbeknownst to us, we are developing these qualities of mind and heart that are going to be most useful to us in all of the inevitable troubles ahead. Really, what we would hope to see or meet are other good human beings. Because these qualities of being honest, generous, energetic, compassionate, understanding, these are the qualities of good human beings everywhere, in every culture, at any time of history. And so too, even now. But when we think of some of the notables in our human history, those who have perfected some of these qualities to an extraordinary degree, when you think of Mother Teresa, compassion, extraordinaire, 
able to go out on the streets of Calcutta every day, find somebody who was dying that day, bring them to her nunnery to care for. Not to solve the problem of homelessness or dying on the streets of Calcutta, but to care for someone dying. She said, I'm not a, I'm not a social, I'm not a social worker. You know, I'm not a, you know, a political person who's going to solve this problem. I'm just doing a simple act each day to address an overwhelming suffering. And that is noble, really noble. And she has developed this degree, had developed this degree of compassion that we all have the same potential because we all have compassion. We all experience compassion. And we all have that same potential as she. Or take Martin Luther King. Fearless in speaking truth to power. Or maybe not fearless, like no fear, but recognizing the fear, but courageous enough to do that. To speak the truth knowing how dangerous it was for him to do that. And we have that same potential. We have the potential to make that commitment in our life to speak the truth. And if you know anyone who has a strong commitment to speak the truth, they're noticeable. (coughs) They're notable. They don't have to advertise it. They're just careful. They are full of care for themselves and for others. And then we have, you know, Aung San Suu Kyi, 20-some years of house arrest in Burma, or Nelson Mandela, how many years was he locked up in South Africa? With the courage of their convictions and the ability to, to be alone, just to be alone with their convictions in isolation. We have that we have that potential within us. So when we think of these good human beings and the qualities of, that they exhibit and display, we should understand that these qualities of mind are not <coughs> unknown to us. They're familiar. We see them in ourselves and others. And these are the qualities that the Bodhisattva also had to perfect in order to prepare the heart, prepare the mind, for liberation to become a Buddha. In this tradition of practice, Theravada tradition, there are ten of these qualities. And they're called the Paramis. And the Paramis mean... uh, Parami is both the peak, you know, the most important or the the greatest and it's a force of purity in the mind. These are the forces of non-attachment, non-aversion and non-delusion. When the mind is free of greed, hatred and delusion, we're naturally generous, wise, understanding, energetic, truthful. So in the Theravada tradition they are identified as generosity and morality 
And these are two of what the Buddha called the three pillars of the Dharma. If you want to establish your life in the Dharma, if you want to live a Dharma-infused lifestyle, generosity, sila, or living in harmony, and development of the mind. All three necessary to stabilize your life in the Dharma. And then there's renunciation that I spoke about the other night. Wisdom and energy, also necessary. Patience, truthfulness, resolve, or that resoluteness. And then loving kindness and equanimity. Now when we understand that the Bodhisattva spent lifetimes, hundreds of lifetimes, perfecting these qualities in his heart, actually making them the default setting of his mind. So that in any situation, it was patience that came to the forefront of his mind instead of impatience. It was loving kindness instead of aversion. It was equanimity instead of partiality. It was generosity instead of you know, withholding in some way. So that in every moment, these are the qualities that were being expressed <coughs> to him. So while we have all these qualities inherent as a potential, in fact, you know, you, you can, there's a teaching in the Buddhist um, Abhidhamma that we're, we are born with uh, these legacies, mental legacies, that includes, in the wholesome side, all of these boundaries. And so we all already have some kind of a baseline, default setting of our ability to be generous, to be loving, to be balanced, to be energetic. <clears throat> and we can see that, you know, we, we already have some of those developed. And yet there's obviously room also for improvement. But we know that as a potential, it may lie as a potential in our mind, in our heart, but it takes the knowledge and it takes guidance, and it takes practice to develop them. And the, the, the challenge for us is to remember, mindfulness, is to remember that these are options. These are <coughs> options to address the challenging situations that we inevitably come upon. And when we think of them, when we reflect on them, there's nothing inherently Buddhist about these qualities of mind. They're not particularly esoteric. They're not very exotic. They're just ordinary, normal, rather mundane. But they are valued by all beings everywhere. But even though we may have a potential, and we may have recognized that we have a potential, we may not have made it a personal choice. We may not have made it a personal value to be generous. We, we see generous generosity as good for them, but we may not have taken it upon ourselves. We see that truthfulness is good for, well, a few people, but, you know, we find a way to, you know, shade the truth, embellish, withhold, deceive, you know, for some personal reason. And so we may not have considered whether we could actually take these on as a practice 
as a personal value. To do that would require some intelligent reflection and a kind of fearless self-knowledge to know what our baseline is and when we are not practicing them. So to make a personal decision, we will have to actively cultivate these qualities. And just, just think for a minute. How many times a day in your busy life outside of retreat do you have the opportunity to pack, practice patience? If you remember that this is a practice. You know, I mean, is there ever a day go by when you don't have several opportunities to practice? But if we don't know, if we don't remember, if we haven't made it a conscious choice to practice patience, we won't remember. Or how many times a day do we have less than loving, well-wishing thoughts about someone? Metta. Again, many times a day. You know, do we have, you know, we're more, dis, you know, judgmental and critical and whatever, rather than may you be happy, may you be peaceful. In our public and social political discourse, equanimity and balanced response is not valued. The more partisan and shrill your opinions, your views and opinions, the more airtime you get, the more tweets, the more, no, the more hits, what is it called? The things where you send it on. You know, the more, the more outrageous you are. And so those who have a balanced, reasonable, you know, integration of opposites or kind of somewhere in the middle spectrum of possibilities are ignored. And yet that's the place of equanimity. That's the place of, you know, kind of wisdom that can accommodate all. So our conditioning may not support, our current conditioning may not support development of these paramis. We may have to, as the Buddha said, go against the stream of our conditioning. Our social conditioning, our parental conditioning, our cultural and political conditioning. This conditioning, while it serves us to kind of get by in life, it may not be sufficient to free the mind, free the heart. Or we may have to step up our game. And we can be sure that in this confrontation of our social and political and economic and family conditioning, we are going to have to let go of some pretty deeply held views, opinions, assumptions, and beliefs. That's hard. That's not easy. <clears throat> but, as Saito-Tejaniya acknowledges, you know, mistakes are the stepping stones of wisdom. So when we see ourselves making a mistake, not taking the opportunity, not remembering to take the opportunity of one of these paramis as a practice, considering it a mistake, a kind of a neglect, kind of an omission, when we see that, then we can learn from that. We can learn, oh, you know, I could have done something differently if I had remembered.
And as we take on these paramis as a personal value, we will be asked to walk our talk. It's easy to talk Dharma. It's easy to see the value in it. It's easy to praise the Buddhist teachings. It's hard to do it. But, through insight, we can learn a new way of life. We can learn a Dharma-infused way of life. We don't need to just spread a little Dharma you know, on top of our busy, undharmic life. You know, I sit for 20 minutes a day. That's good. <coughs> but you might need more than that. If you really want your life to be moved by or resting in or marinating in the Dharma, so to speak. It's not that we have to become some extraordinary, you know, spiritual athlete, kind of a pain in the butt to everybody. It's not that. We just need to recognize that we can be, and it's a choice to be, a good human being. So it's practice. You know, we have the potential, we can make it a personal choice, and we will inevitably have to practice. It's interesting that when you look over the list of the paramis, they are all practices of letting go. Renunciation. Letting go of views and opinions, letting go of laziness, letting go of procrastination, letting go of reactivity, letting go of kind of dramatizing ordinary, normal life events. They're all practices of the Eightfold Path. And they're also all mindfulness practices. And they're all practices that lead to happiness. Of the happiness of harmony, the happiness of tranquility, the happiness of understanding or peace. They're all practices of letting go. So they have a good pedigree, meaning they're well rooted in the Dharma. We have the opportunity, we're practicing mindful awareness to remember, to recognize, in this case, the opportunity for practicing any of them. I think we all want what one retreatant said recently, that she wanted a, um, a Dharma lifestyle rather than the lifestyle of a retreat. We don't want to live like a retreat, like we're on retreat. But we want to live with the infusion of this kind of understanding, this kind of awareness, this kind of compassion in our life. And this is, these, these paramis are the practices that we can undertake as a householder in our everyday civic, social, professional, domestic activities. You know, it's not like you have to even have your eyes closed, sit cross-legged. You just have to remember to watch your mind and see the opportunity. And in this way we can use the motivation to grow our own uh, strength of mind for the troubles ahead, but also offer something of value to others. Because good human beings are valued everywhere. They're benefactors rather than bothers, wherever they appear. It is said that parami, or these, these qualities of mind, become a parami when the motivation to practice them is out of compassion. 
both compassion for oneself, but understanding <coughs> that all of these are compassionate activity towards others. And so when the motivation is to, to do for others what is beneficial, then practicing these becomes the parami level. Parami, again, as I mentioned, is the peak, the, the premier, if you will, qualities of the mind. So as we undertake the trainings of any one of these, or all of them, we'll have lots of opportunities to make mistakes and learn, and further refine our both understanding of them, our commitment to them, and receive the benefit of them. Because understanding is the benefit of practicing them, letting go is the tool for uh, liberation, and the happiness and the result is a sense of well-being. Even in the face of unpleasant, even overwhelming challenges in life. It's these qualities of heart and mind that are going to most serve us in the most difficult times. So this is the, kind of the overview of all of the paramis, the ten paramis that are developed for living your life as a good human being, but also they are the practices for householders to prepare the soil of the mind for liberating insight. And in Burma, in Asia, where I was practicing, it's well understood that you practice the paramis as much as possible. And every year, take a long retreat, intensive retreat like this, and just see how much more support for insight the mind has, has developed. And a lifetime of practicing the paramis and a lifetime of annual retreats will surely move you in the direction of liberation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.